Hi there! Welcome to Which Witch is Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Derek. And I'm Regina. And today, we're going to be discussing witchy rom-coms from the late 90s. Yeah, after The Craft came out in 96, uh, all of a sudden witches were cool again, like in a big, big way. And so Hollywood wanted to make more movies about witches, but they didn't want it to be dark because that's not cool anymore. So they wanted it to be light and airy and have big Hollywood actresses in them and have them fall in love with boys. Because it was the 90s. It was the 90s. Yeah, they fall in love with boys. And sometimes that turns out great. And sometimes that turns out with death. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to the death part. So, Derek, which witchy rom-com from the late 90s are you going to talk about today? I am talking about the film Simply Irresistible. It stars Sarah Michelle Gellar as Amanda Shelton, who, along with her aunt, takes over the family restaurant after her mother dies. But she's not a very good chef, so they start losing customers and are close to going out of business. A walking plot device who might as well be a trickster god manipulates Amanda into buying a basket of live crabs at the Union Square Farmer's Market, and when one of the crabs takes up a residence on the high shelf in her kitchen, Amanda is magically the best damn chef in New York. She uses her powers to save her restaurant and seduce a handsome department store manager, though none of this is ever explained. <laughs> I have not seen this movie, but... It is a truly bad, but wildly entertaining film. It sounds like it. I mean, the crab, like, I wanna... This is my whole thing about spoilers, I love spoilers because it gives me an incentive for why I should watch or read or whatever, you know, however I'm going to consume a particular media. It gives me an incentive to do so because I think crab magic? Of course that's a thing that I want to see. Mm -hmm. You and I have always been very much in the same boat regarding spoilers because I don't care. I don't care about spoilers. If it's a worthwhile plot twist, it'll still be fun if I know it going in. Exactly. If it ruins the whole experience, it wasn't a worthwhile experience. I had very little interest in the M. Night Shyamalan movie Split until I heard what the twist at the end was. And then I was like, well, now I got to go see it. And I'm glad I did. I still enjoyed it, even though I knew where it was going. Exactly. Because when you are watching a film for the first time or reading a book for the first time, even if you know where it's going, you might not necessarily know how you get there. And I don't know how they get there with this magical crab chef thing, but I really want to find out. I don't remember seeing you here before. Are you always here? Well, only when absolutely necessary. It's a long trip. These are for you. Peaky toes. Marvelous. I wouldn't know what to do with a crab. But thanks anyway. It's always important to remember that the wind from one door closing opens another. Take my crabs, Amanda. Your mother wants you to start living up to your potential. My mother's dead. Well, that's no reason to ignore her. Let's discuss Amanda. So... The first rule of witchiness is that the witch in question identifies as female. Does Amanda, a.k.a. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, identify as female? Yeah, so Amanda is very much a girl, not exactly a woman. This is pre-Cruel Intention Sarah Michelle Gellar, when she was still good at feigning innocence on Buffy the Vampire Slayer by giving puppy dog eyes and lilting her voice upward at the end of sentences like everything's a question. She has extremely 90s fashion sense, which I'm bringing up only because it is very noticeable 
and therefore must be part of her character brief. Literally the only thing I remembered from the trailer before seeing this movie was her disbelief that men think about sex 238 times a day, and that when they do so, they usually fiddle with their belt. This is almost immediately followed by a sequence in the film of her walking around a department store and noticing all the guys touching their belts as she walks by. Is this gross? Yeah, sure. But the fact that she feels the need to focus on it demonstrates a lack of maturity and underscores her status as girl rather than woman. I feel like however you want to cut it, that still qualifies as identifying as female. Yeah, definitely. Right? But it's her uh, emotional maturity that's the thing in question here. Yes, the movie makes it pretty clear that she is not really comfortable outside in the world. She has a very small worldview from her family. Even though she lives in downtown Manhattan, she hasn't really like gone out and adventured. So her, her girlness comes from her naive versus her if she was more if she was more of a woman yes and i don't mean to suggest that this is the way all girls are this has more to do with a very poorly written script got it that they are trying so hard to telegraph that she is an innocent and she is an unspoiled girl and not a mature woman and this is important to the plot that she's girlish? I'm just curious. Nothing in this movie would happen if she had any sense about her. Like, the entire movie Got would be different. Got it, yes. I see. So in order for the plot to move forward, she has to be super naive. She has to be aloof and sort of uninterested and a little scared. Huh. Okay. Of all these things. I believe you. The second law of witchiness is that the witch in question practices magic. Does Amanda practice magic? So Amanda practices food magic. And I use that general term because the movie really doesn't care any more than that. Is it food magic or is it arcane gastronomy? I think in 1999, the term gastronomy had not been popularized yet. So food magic. All right, food magic. All right, go, go forth. Sometimes she'll just will food into existence without having done much kitchen work at all. Like she says, oh, I'm going to make crab Napoleon. She doesn't know what crab Napoleon is. She kind of just made up two words. But she starts like fiddling with some crab and vegetables, looks away, and then looks at her plate and it's a finished dish. And she's like, oh, hey, I made the thing that I made up two minutes ago. Mostly though. So she will imbue her dishes with an overwhelming force of emotion. So when she cries while making a dish, anyone eating that dish will also cry. When she's thinking about the man she wants to make out with while making a dish, everyone eating that dish will also want to make out with the person next to them. At one point, she also makes herself and the man she's flirting with levitate several feet off of the ground. This is also unexplained, but definitely not a dream sequence as the man hits his head on the ceiling and proceeds to call her a witch for the rest of the film. Like you do. Like you do. I mean, it's interesting that she does this food magic because it's a type of magic that has a long history in folklore. It's a type of sympathetic magic. So the idea of, you know, it's like the origin of gingerbread men. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're baking something that you're going to then give to a person for a specific effect. Yeah. In her case, it doesn't seem like she's doing it with all that much intent. But it, the magic is still kind of flowing into her food. Yeah, there's absolutely a, a ton of lore and history behind food-related magics and putting energies into food to give to people to change the way they interact with things and to affect them on a biological level. There's tons and tons of information about that out in the world. This movie doesn't care about any of that. Oh. This movie does not want to do any research whatsoever. It just wants to say, hey, here's a goof 
goofy rom-com. Uh, see, but I care about I care about stirring my dishes clockwise for mm-hmm. for happy feelings and stirring dishes counterclockwise if I'm trying to curse somebody. Also, the poison helps when you do that. Counterclockwise plus poison is good for cursing. There's also all kinds of folklore practices like the 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 king bread that has the coin in it. Those of prosperity. There's mm-hmm. I feel really strongly about all these things and you're telling me this movie doesn't actually care too much about it. Nope. Uh, no. Not at all. So she practices magic by accident. Yeah, but I suppose there's a ton of room for an expanded universe around Simply Irresistible where you could get into all of that. Mm. Should the demand arise someday for the Simply Irresistible expanded universe canon? Is there a Simply Irresistible cookbook companion? No. No, there's not. I feel like that's a real missed opportunity. I think most people involved try to forget that this <laughs> okay. film exists. I'm so excited to watch it. The next law of witchiness is that the witch in question practices feminism. Does Amanda practice feminism? And if so, how? I would argue, yes, she does. While the A plot of the film is certainly the budding romance between Amanda and the handsome department store manager, Tom Bartlett, Amanda's story is more focused on proving her strength in the face of men who tell her she's not good enough. When she takes over the kitchen for the opening night of an uptown restaurant, the sous chef gives her a lot of crap because she's just some girl who couldn't possibly possibly be as good a chef as the previous guy, a pompous self-entitled jerk with a bad French accent and his nose in the air about truffles. Amanda tries a lot harder to prove these men wrong more than she ever tries to hook up with Tom. And while she succeeds in both, the story of the film is clearly about a woman overcoming the obstacles placed in front of them by closed-minded men. That sounds great. I love that. It also reminds me of another, I believe it's a 90s film, correct me if I'm wrong or we'll Google it, Um, Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde, I think, was the early aughts. But the premise of Legally Blonde is the same, where there's a naive-seeming, very female-coded young woman who is faced with a lot of uh, patriarchal obstacles and proceeds to prove herself while simultaneously keeping her... I don't know what you would call it, her girl-coded persona. The Elle Wood character from Legally Blonde uh, sort of redefines her stereotypical femininity and makes it a source of power and shows how she shouldn't be underestimated. Just like a witch, just like Amanda in this case, it seems. The fourth law of witchiness is that the witch in question is persecuted or misunderstood. Is Amanda persecuted or misunderstood? She is certainly misunderstood. When Tom decides that Amanda is a witch, he instantly cuts ties with her and starts acting like a total spaz around pretty much everybody. He can't believe that her food is good, of course, because she's a witch. She can't work in his restaurant, of course, because she's a witch. He can't be alone in a room with her, obviously, because she's a witch. This is all because he can't control himself around her food and because he kissed her this one time and hit his head on the ceiling when they happened to be floating a couple feet above the ground. Okay, now the floating part is a little unusual, but it's not like you saw Amanda do an incantation or wave a magic wand or anything like that. Beyond that, dude, maybe you have some issues with food because boy goes to town on some shoe pastries in an uncomfortable running gag throughout the film. Even taking them away from a sweet older couple in his store after smelling the sweets from like two whole floors away. (laughs) Methinks the gentleman projects too much. Yikes. 
And this is the love interest? This is the love interest. <laughs> this is Sean Patrick Flannery, who you might know as one half of Boondock Saints. Right. Plus his second-in-command at the department store, who's played by Patricia Clarkson, who you might know from many films and TV shows. She also, once she has a bite of this shoe pastry, will just knock people down in front of her to get more. So possibly these pastries are highly addictive. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time... That doesn't mean she's a witch, and it doesn't mean you can be a dick to her about it. Mm -hmm. If you want the food, just have the food. Yeah, I don't know that if I was making out with somebody and we ended up floating on the ceiling, that I would. My first thought would be witch. He seems questionable. Well, yeah, we'll come. We'll come back to um, eating stuff that makes people fall in love with you. But before we do, I need to know is. Amanda bonded to a sentience larger than herself, the fifth rule of witchiness. So this comes down to what the source of Amanda's magical powers are. And again, the film is not wildly specific, but the critical analysis online seems to all agree on this point. Amanda's powers come from a crab. The supposedly <laughs> magical crab sneaks its way onto her kitchen shelf at the start of the movie, and later on she just starts carrying it around with her as a mascot and good luck charm, without the movie ever addressing how she noticed the crab was there or why she hasn't cooked it yet like she did with the rest of the crab. <laughs> Regardless, she has befriended this magic crab, and friendship is a bond, and this crab <laughs> seems to have more awareness of what the heck is going on at any given time than Amanda does, so I say it counts as a sentience greater than Amanda's. Ergo, she is bonded to a sentience greater than herself. It just happens to be a magic crab. I love that. Can we insert a clip of Sebastian from The Little Mermaid talking? I tried to stop us. She wouldn't listen. I told her to stay away from humans. They are bad. They are trouble. Humans? What about humans? Humans? <laughs> Who said anything about humans? I was watching it with Kylo for the first time, and she has seen it a million times because she loves how bad this movie is. It was my first time. And I was like, wait a minute, when did she discover the crab? And then I looked at reviews online, and everyone was like, when the hell did she discover the crab? So, a lot of problems with this movie. <laughs> I love problematic things all the time, and I'm excited to watch this film and possibly love it and all of its problems as well. I highly encourage watching this film as long as you don't pay a lot of money for it. Fair. As long as it's cheap and you have snacks. Mm. Please watch this movie. Do not expect it to be good because it is not. I cannot stress this enough. It is not a good movie. Awesome. It is a bad, poorly written, terribly directed nonsense film <laughs> with ridiculous off the walls acting from pretty much everybody. But it is so goofy and stupid and fun. I, uh, awesome. Plus, they have a like Rube Goldberg style martini machine for some reason. <laughs> Every time someone at the cafe orders wow. a martini, it has to have like a marble rolling down a long track, knocking all sorts of things together to make the martini. Why? Because, of course, you had to have a gimmick to have a restaurant in Lower <laughs> Manhattan in 1999. Wow, that's really weird. But you know what? The witches that I'm going to talk about have midnight margaritas. There are no Rube Goldberg machines, but uh, midnight margaritas are pretty great. Let's jump right into it. Regina, tell me, what is your witchy rom-com from the late 90s? I'm going to be talking about the film and book, Practical Magic. I'm going to be speaking about the Owens sisters, Sally and Jillian, specifically. Belladonna. It's a sedative. People put it in their tea to relax, calm their nerves. 
Some people also use it as a poison. Which people? <laughs> Which people? Aha. Uh -huh. Witches. Witches. Mm -hmm. I guess you found me out, huh? Yeah. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should come around here on Halloween. You'd really see something then. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we all jump off the roof and fly. We kill our husbands, too. This is a very popular movie. I have had at least half a dozen fans of the podcast specifically request this one, and I've said, we're going to get to it. So tell me about it. Give me a little synopsis. Practical magic. It's a story that follows Sally and Jillian from their youth through adulthood and takes place primarily when the women are probably in their mid-30s and dealing with their family's curse. Men who fall in love with them are doomed to an untimely death due to an anti-love spell gone curse from one of their lady ancestors. Okay, this ancestor honestly sounds super badass to me. She was slut-shamed almost to death and then used her magic to escape that fate, built an awesome house to live in, gave birth on her own to her daughters, and then cast the no more falling in love spell to protect herself. Let me state my own bias up front. I love practical magic. I love the book. I love the film. I loved the abridged audio. I still dream about living in an old Victorian house like the ants and having a room dedicated to my herbs and magic. And actively, I work to make sure that I am the weird ant to all the children that are in my life. So practical magic. It's awesome. The house garden in practical magic looks almost as good as the house garden at the beginning of Kiki's delivery service. And that is saying something is because saying we all something. know Ghibli produces the most masterful food and vegetables you've ever seen in film. Mm -hmm. So to have a live action movie have a garden that looks almost as good as a Ghibli one is impressive. Mm -hmm. And this garden, I mean, it's not just beautiful flowers and wisteria, but there's some dark and dangerous stuff that happens in there. Some, There's some magic that happens. There's some scary stuff. We, we looked this up, and this film is classified as a, a horror rom-com? Horror rom-com? There's definitely a little bit of rom, and it's light, so I could consider it a com. For me, it's, and I hate to use this phrase because I love this genre, but it's a chick flick drama. It totally is with witches. But it's definitely light with romance. It's it's basically a female bonding movie. I could see the argument for light and tone as far as the movie is concerned. The book delves a little more deeply into the family drama aspect of it and the coming of age and the generations of these women dealing with the curse in their own ways and their relationships and there's a lot happening in practical magic but imdb classifies it as a rom-com so we're going with it and therefore the theme of the episode applies <laughs> so let's start things off with the first rule of witchiness which is that the wish in question identify as female can you tell me if sally and jillian owens identify as female they definitely do throughout the story the matrilineal legacy of the owens women's curse is explored as i mentioned one of their ancestors started the curse because of puritanical townsfolk trying to slut shame her to death the story focuses on the relationships Sally and Jillian have that are all intimately tied to their femaleness. 
their relationship with their aunts, their relationship with each other as sisters, their romantic relationships, and the subsequent problems with those men. Yeah, the sisterhood, as I alluded to earlier, really seems to be the major theme of the film, at least when I saw it. Definitely is. And not just sisterhood as far as Sally and Jillian specifically as biological sisters, but sisterhood as far as larger women's relationships with other women. Oh, definitely. I mean, spoilers here for anyone who hasn't seen Practical Magic. A, see Practical Magic. Definitely. But one of the best parts of the movie for me is towards the end when all the women in town who have been like sort of side-eyeing the Owens family for their whole lives Mm -hmm. are now coming together to all join forces as one big powerful female unit Mm -hmm. and take down a malevolent male. The phone tree scene. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's a beautiful scene. I still watch that part. It's so good. So let's move on to the second rule of witchiness, which is uh, that they practice magic. Can you tell me a little bit about the magic that the Owens family does? There's so much magic in this film, and it's really fantastic. The magic in the book, too. It's just, it's really, really great. Sally and Jillian practice magic first at a very young age. They cast their own love spells after emulating their aunts, who ply a pretty successful love spell trade. They practice blood magic with each other, and so on. But a pretty significant point in the plot is that Sally, the more conservative of the two sisters, goes on what's essentially a magic fast and vows to divorce herself from magic after watching her husband die due to the family curse. A truly fantastic scene in both the book and the film is when Jillian's ex-lover turned zombie turned malevolent ghost possesses Jillian, and Sally needs to get past her own fears about magic and embrace that part of herself in order to save her sister. I do want to step back briefly to talk about Sally's first husband, because in the film it's played by Mark Feuerstein, who would go on to star in the USA drama Royal Pains for several years and had been a character actor for years before that in every TV show you can imagine. In this movie, he has zero lines. Mm-hmm. Basically, like they they meet, mm-hmm. they have a montage, mm-hmm. they have a family, mm-hmm. and then he's going to the market one day and he gets like hit by a truck and th- th- is dead. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. The whole thing happens in the span of about a minute. Yep. And so suddenly it's like 10 years later and Sandra Bullock has two daughters and is morose because she lost the supposed love of her life. Mm-hmm. In the book, it, it goes way deep in this whole relationship and what the aftermath of what happens after he, after he dies. Sally and her husband have this relationship that she feels really strongly about. There's a lot of tension that's built up when she starts seeing that Death Watch beetle. There are other signs of imminent death in the book. And then after he dies, Sally basically becomes a vegetable. Like she stops functioning and taking care of her children, like taking care of her daughters. She just hides for a very long time in her room and has no concept of reality. And it takes a bit to get her back on her feet. It takes her sister. Mm -hmm. It takes the reappearance of the sister she hasn't seen for years. Mm -hmm. Because ladies doing it for each other. Exactly. All right. So the third rule of witchiness is that the witch in question practice feminism. Let's talk about the feminism that the Owen sisters play off here. We just talked about a very feminist point and I think you can infer from all of the things that I've been touching on that there's feminism all over the place in this story. It's a lot of women supporting other women like Sally and Jillian no matter what their differences 
the ants, the women in the phone tree. There are women entrepreneurs, the ants with their love spell trade. Sally at the end of the story sets up this magical bath and beauty product shop. There's midnight margaritas. And I don't care who you are, midnight margaritas are feminist. Mm-hmm. That's one of the that's one of the biggest draws, I think, to this film, despite the fact that it seems to have gotten a lot of really bad reviews. I don't know who's reviewing this that thinks this movie is bad. Really? Yeah. It's got like really terrible ratings on all of the places where people rate movies, but this is such a that's good crazy. <laughs> This is such a good film. I thought this was like a beloved film. It, Maybe it's one of those ones that like people love and critics hate. I think that that's what it is. I think that critics okay. hate it, but everyone I know loves it. And for good reason, in my opinion. It's okay to like things. It's okay to like things. Even if other people don't like things, it's okay to make up your own mind about it and like the things that you like. It's also okay to dislike things, but do you? Totally true. All right. The fourth rule of witchiness is that they come from a place of persecution or misunderstanding. Let's talk about how the Owens family is persecuted or misunderstood they've definitely been persecuted in their history and sally and jillian are misunderstood by a lot of the women in their community and definitely at times by each other the nature of their power was most notably misunderstood by sally who as i mentioned needed to embrace it in order to save her sister in the book more so than in the film the focus on sally's relationship with her daughters is rife with misunderstanding her one daughter antonia is very much like jillian in spirit she likes revealing clothing and all black and cute boys and sally can't or won't understand either so there's a lot of misunderstanding yeah sally's daughters are even bullied in town by people because of the witch reputation exactly yeah. they, they realize oh you're part of that family you must be a witch Let's use the same annoying childish taunts that we've been using against this family for decades. Right. And the thing that's interesting there, too, what what I love about the way the witches are portrayed in this film is that despite the fact that the children all taunt her daughters and despite the fact that the women in town tend to side-eye them, all of the women come to the back door when they're in need of some magical assistance. Every single woman in the town either wants the Owens to create a love spell for them or to create a banishment or a curse for them. At some point or another, one of the women in the community, no matter how they've treated the Owens women, will be in need of their help, will show up at that back door, and the ants, or Sally and Jillian, depending on who's answering the door, generally give them some help, which I think is pretty great. Yeah, it's very big of the Owens sisters and aunts, but it's also very hypocritical of the townspeople. It is, but, you know, townsfolk. It's the 90s. Hypocrisy was in. No, I feel like that. The moment the moment that you're part of a townsfolk, you know, it, there's like pitchforks are like in the wings, you know? There's gonna be, I'm thinking of that scene and because I'm, I'm thinking about Beauty and the Beast because I want to see. Oh, kill the beast. What happened? Yeah, well, it's townsfolk, you know? Yeah. Townsfolk. Gaston Lee the whole town with pitchforks and torches towards the castle and they're shouting kill the beast kill the beast right so townsfolk that's my point anyway fifth and final rule of witchiness is that they be bonded to a sentience larger than themselves are the owens family bonded to a sentience larger than themselves maybe there's the one instance where the ex-boyfriend jimmy possesses jillian so at one point Jillian, at least, is bonded to a sentience. I don't know that it's necessarily larger than herself. I would not say that Jimmy is greater than Jillian. 
Jimmy is a small man, a petty man. And I mean that in the metaphorical sense, because he's physically domineering. Physically, he's, he's, yeah, physically he's a big guy, and it's kind of a problem because they got to bury him in their garden. Remember I said that the garden was going to have dark and dangerous stuff? Mm -hmm. The dark and dangerous stuff is Jimmy's corporeal form. Spoiler, they kill him. Spoiler, he gets better. (laughs) Oh, better. Better. Or worse. He gets worse. Yeah, exactly. I put the fires out. You made them worse. Worse or better. So yeah, uh, bondage and sentience, maybe. I don't think so. You know what? It was the 90s and everybody all of a sudden was really into Wicca. Maybe they were bonded to the um, made-up deity that showed up in the craft. We don't know. Anything could happen. Maybe they were bonded to Hot Topic sales. It's entirely possible. Okay, so that covers the the bona fides Mm -hmm. of our witches. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about covens for a minute. Yes. If you could invite only one of the Owen sisters or Amanda from Simply Irresistible into your coven, which one would it be and why? I have one. I want to hear yours. (laughs) Tell me yours. (laughs) I want to hear yours. Well, while I really appreciate... Amanda's arcane gastronomy. I feel like I got a handle on that. I would pick Jillian just because she's fun. So Jillian is the wild child in the film played by Nicole Kidman. She's the one who is a nomadic free spirit. She goes out and she seduces men and has adventures and doesn't really get emotionally Mm -hmm. attached Mm -hmm. to anything. And she is also very loyal to her sister, helps her come out of her fugue. Uh, She makes some questionable decisions regarding the men in her life, but she's also a really great aunt to Antonia and is really sensitive and smart in her own way. And I feel like it's always nice to have that kind of adventure friend in your coven. You know, the person who's going to call you up and be like, do you have your boots on? We're going on an adventure. I feel like Jillian would be that person. I feel like you need some of that that energy in a coven. Yeah, Jillian's a really good answer. Sally would also be a good answer. Mm-hmm. Either either of the ants, Francis or Jet, would also be a great answer. Either of the ants. I'm going to go with Amanda from Simply Irresistible because, as I've (laughs) said before, the number one rule of covens is always have great snacks. Great snacks. And she will bring that shoe pastry. And that's it. That's all we need. We're we're good. We're hooked on that stuff. Now let's do some magic. Exactly. Yeah. And she's like not going to be intimidating anybody in the group with her magic because she doesn't know what the hell she's doing she unless doesn't. she bring, she could bring the crab with her <laughs> maybe the crab could teach us a few things i don't know yes as long as she brings That's snacks i'm happy yeah you know where else she would really fit in where would you have some shoe at the cauldron cabaret ah yes you gotta have some pastry to go with your i'm gonna guess absinthe Take a walk with me for a minute down the hallways of the Cauldron Cabaret. Take I'm, me for a stroll. I'm Let's thinking go. it would be really interesting to see what Sabrina the Teenage Witch could conjure as far as off-brand snacks and then have Amanda come in and do a little, you know, magical food magic with the ready-made off-brand snacks and then you could have magical nachos or something magical off-brand nachos you want to have one of those betty crocker situations where like you take the ready-made stuff Mm -hmm. and you elevate it exactly that's what i want okay so you want like off-brand doritos Mm -hmm. that will then turn into like an elegant taco platter exactly that's 
exactly what I want. And you know what? This sounds good. I think mm-hmm. Sally and Jillian would enjoy coming into the Cauldron Cabaret and eating that off-brand Dorito taco plate. Mm-hmm. I think. With some margaritas? With, they would bring the margaritas and we would have mm-hmm. a whole theme. It would be a great party. Mm-hmm. Jillian loves to party. She would have a great time. Yeah. I'd imagine Jillian would have something not prepared, but like she would just jump on stage and do a thing real quick mm-hmm. and it would be great. And then she just sort of stumble off stage because she's probably drunk. I feel like it would be like a coyote ugly moment. And then Sally would be like, okay, you should probably get down before you hurt yourself. Yes. Sandra Bullock is the very best wet blanket. She's yes. so good at she's it. She's really good at it. You never feel blanket. bad for her being the wet blanket because you know she's responsible. Exactly. And she would really enjoy hanging out with the kid witches. She would make sure mm-hmm. that they have a balanced diet. That's something I didn't mention <laughs> in... Uh, when I was talking about them, but speaking of the magical gastronomy, the ants don't care whether the sister Sally and Jillian eat cake for breakfast and soda for dinner and, you know, chips for lunch. They don't care. They don't force them to eat healthily. But the girls realize from eating that way for a while that mm, maybe we want a salad for dinner. <laughs> maybe we want to change it up a little bit. And I, I find that really, uh, I find that really fun so I can see I can see that influence being great for our kid witches. That was one of the things that stood out the most to me when I was watching Practical Magic. Now, granted, I have not read the book, so I they may have gone further in depth on this. But there is they make a very clear point that the ants make chocolate cake every night for the kids. And that Sally and Jillian had chocolate cake every night when they were kids. And when Sally and her daughters move in, they're told, like, well, here's cake. And Sally says, no, you're not allowed to have cake every night. And then they do anyway because they're kids and the ants are cool. So in this particular type of witchery, do they just not have cavities ever? Do they not get upset tummies? Well, that's the thing. They learn through eating so much cake that eating all that cake is not a good thing to do all the time. So they end up mm-hmm. they end up self-policing, basically, self-regulating their diets. And so it starts out that they eat a lot of cake, but actually they end up eating really healthily and then have cake from time to time. These kids are like eight. Yes. They don't they don't learn that that early. Well, they do in this story. Also, personal anecdote, 21 is the wrong age to first have a gummy worm. Oh my goodness. Oh, I want to hear more of that story, but not during our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Witch. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the Elder Gods. Subscribe to Witch Witches Witch on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever pods may be cast. Until next time, remember, for blessings, stir clockwise. For curses, poison.